We are continuing our beginning journey through the book of Acts. Um, as I continue studying this, I feel like we might be here for quite a while. <laughs> I know we were in Daniel earlier uh, a few months ago for, I think, 17 or 18 sermons. Um, but Acts is a bigger book, and I don't feel this time around as I'm going through a book of trying to take out as giant a chunk as I have uh, at previous books. So um, this is our second week, and we're going to get through chapter 1, verse 11. So there you go, just to make sure you have that as an aware point as we continue on in our journey through this book. Um, today, let me start off by reading from Acts. I'll just read verse 1 of chapter 1 through verse 11 to give us the full context of what is happening here as we focus in on verses 6 through 11. So Acts chapter 1, start reading in verse 1. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So last week when we began our journey, sort of the introduction that we had to this book, we saw that it was Luke who was writing this. Luke who would be a future companion of Paul on his missionary journeys. Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke, who wrote this book of Acts as a companion piece, as a follow-up to this was the, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. Now, now what? Now what happens? What is going on now? So we saw that his book is a book of history, that Luke himself is a historian. I mean, he's a physician by trade, but he's also become an historian. But this book is not just history. This book is history with a purpose, history with theology behind it. There's a reason why he includes the things that he does, when he does, and how he does. And so as we begin looking at what we have here, if you would look back at the end of the Gospel of Luke, you'd notice that Luke already kind of gave us a very similar snapshot of what we're talking about here in verses 6 through 11 today. And so why does he include this here now? And what's different about what he includes here and now in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11? Go back and look at verse 6 again. It says, 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? One of the emphases that we saw in the first few verses of Acts 1 is that there was a focus that Jesus had on preaching the kingdom. Now, this wasn't just a focus after he was resurrected. This was a focus all throughout his life and ministry was preaching about the kingdom of God. How often in your life do you consider the kingdom of God? How often do you consider that the kingdom of God is vastly superior to and more important than whatever nation that you live in? Now, today is September 11th, and for most of us, we were alive. Um, Some of us weren't alive at that point. 21 years ago, but we can remember certain details about it. We can remember, for most of us, probably the feeling of patriotism that we had, of sorrow, of grief, of despair that happened in those, in that morning when all the stuff was coming to light. I mean, I was at school and the teacher was like, brought in the TV, which, you know, for us, the roll, the rolly cart TV was always a special day. That was not as special a day as, you know, we wanted it to be. Um, to turn on the news and to see and to watch it. But a lot of us felt that, felt that national pride, felt that America on its own soil for the first time in 60 years was being attacked. And we thought our kingdom, this nation, is in trouble. We've got to respond. We've got to do something about this. We've got to figure out how and why this happened. The kingdom of God was an important piece of what Jesus taught. And for the disciples, as they were getting ready for Jesus to leave them and trying to figure out what the next steps were going to look like, they're wondering, what is this kingdom going to look like now? This was a serious moment for them as the disciples, as the one that Jesus is sort of passing the torch to and saying, here, you continue on this ministry that I have begun, this preaching the kingdom that I have started. And so their question is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So their focus, we can see, I think is a right focus for them in many regards from what they were able to understand at that point. If we look at the Gospel of Luke, Luke gives us a couple of hints that it wasn't just the disciples who were concerned about the kingdom of God as Jesus preached it. It was also the religious leaders had it on their minds. In Luke 17, verse 20, Luke says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had an eye toward the kingdom of God. They knew that something was supposed to happen, that maybe the kingdom of Israel was supposed to come back around and to its future glory days, looking back at what it used to be and what it could be again. The Pharisees had it on their minds. Jesus himself told a parable in Luke 19, verse 11. 
says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. What was on the minds of the disciples, of the religious leaders, of many people in Israel was what they thought they understood from the Old Testament, that the kingdom of God was going to come back to Israel. But the question itself was misguided. What they had understood the kingdom of God to be was not what Jesus intended them to understand. It was something new and different. It was something that they didn't quite catch. Now, we'll find some of Joel's um, book in Acts chapter 2 as Peter gives his sermon at Pentecost. But in Joel is one of the places where we find one of the reasons for the disciples to think that maybe as God brings back his kingdom to earth for Israel, as he restores Israel, that an accompanying sign would be him pouring out his spirit upon people. So in Joel chapter 2, if you look at it, you can see that the Lord is going to have pity on his people. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I'm sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. I will no, long, I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. At the end of Joel chapter 2, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. There is a tandem relationship between God restoring the kingdom on earth with the pouring out of his spirit. So when the disciples are thinking, Jesus, you're talking a lot about the kingdom of God. What is it you're going to do? And are you going to do it now? And are you going to do it back in Israel? So Jesus, what you find from him in his answer is not necessarily a rebuke. It's not, oh, how dumb and how ridiculous it is that I've been with you for so many years and now I've been preaching the kingdom of God to you these 40 days that I've been resurrected and you still don't get it. There are portions of it that I think they do understand. There was a recognition that if Jesus is talking about giving his spirit to his people and for them to wait for it, that then also the kingdom was going to be advancing. And so how was it going to advance? Where was it going to advance? When was it going to advance? That's really what they're asking, what they're wondering. And what they're inclined to think is that it's going to be right back in Israel. That it's going to be potentially now. And so they're excited because they're like, yes, this is great. We get to be the upper echelon of the new kingdom that's about to start. I mean, you ever get the opportunity to be in the lead. You know, I mean, it seems a lot more, I mean, for me anyways, as a kid, I always enjoyed opportunities whenever you'd get that special privilege. Um, I mean, one time I got called into the principal's office, but it was a positive thing because there were a few of us who like got picked to do a special task for the principal. Um, and this was when I was, I think, like in second grade. And you're just thinking, oh, this is so cool. And he's so tall and... Um, you know, like I have this special assignment from him. 
Like, I, I kind of picture, I think that's what the disciples were like, oh, you know, this is great. We're, we're on the, the cutting edge of this new thing that's about to happen. I've been chosen to be a part of this and to be at the top. I'm one of the most special people. But Jesus' answer in verse 7 says, He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons. So when they say, Will you at this time? Going back to what I read in Luke 17 and Luke 19, supposing that it was going to start immediately, Jesus said back when he was alive the first time. And now again, look, what you really need to understand is that the kingdom has already begun and, and it's in your midst. It's already in you and among you. And it's going to look a little bit different than you had thought. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. And what he's referencing some there is also whenever he's going to come back. When is he going to set up himself as the king, his kingdom? And he says, look, when I return, it's not for you to know when that exactly is going to happen. And even I myself have refrained from knowing that in my earthly ministry. This is something that the Father has said. And it's not for you to look forward to. Now, I think, I don't know, in my estimation, one of the reasons why I think God would do this to us and not tell us when Christ is going to return is because if you're like me, and I know not everyone's like me because I know my wife is not like me, if you're like me, you procrastinate, okay? So whenever you have an assignment, you say to yourself, I've got, you know, I mean, the semester just started for, you know, college kids. And so it's like, hey, I've got until December, the first week in December to turn in this term paper, right? And so when do I start on this term paper? Well, approximately somewhere around November 30th, right? You know, gives me a good solid week or maybe just simply two days before it's due. I mean, that's typically how I roll. Now, I don't know how you roll. Maybe you're more of a type A and you're disciplined and you do things ahead of time and ahead of schedule. But I think maybe one of the reasons why he does this is because he knows that we as humans would procrastinate. We would just do whatever we wanted to do for as long as we could do it. And then all of a sudden, you know, sort of really grind it out. This is just the last couple of days that we had, the last couple of years that we had. But it's a mystery. It's not for us to know. And for us to try and figure out and to spend time reading the stars and trying to discern when is it that Jesus is going to return? When is it that his kingdom is going to physically be established back on the earth? Is the, that's the wrong perspective to have. Is we're asking the wrong questions. We're saying something and we're spending our time doing things that aren't going to be beneficial what we are to be focused on he tells the disciples is something else and that something else is more than just a physical kingdom it is a spiritual kingdom it is one thing that the disciples themselves just really didn't have on their radar it's one thing that is easy to miss just the, the workings of the Spirit throughout the Old Testament and to see how he brought things about and how now God is going to send his Spirit to really empower for mission his people that he's called 
and to establish this kingdom that's a spiritual kingdom. As we begin to look at verse 8, one thing that I think we just need to focus on in this whole Jesus trying to change their minds and to get them to focus on something a little bit slightly different than what they had expected to, was it's, to me, there are many similarities with what we have had, especially over the last, I don't know, decade, that, I mean, I've been a somewhat mature adult and noticed in our political age and where we can see anything and everything in real time that's happening all the time, is the difference between what we celebrate today as Patriot Day, September 11th, and then this nationalism that has happened. That has always probably occurred, but that is now much more on the forefront of what we have to deal with and what we have to recognize as a church that has seeped into who we are as Christians and what we are fighting for as people of faith. Too many times we are fighting for, like the disciples here in their question, we're fighting for Israel. We, in 2022, are fighting for America more than we are focusing on and fighting for the kingdom of God in its spiritual realm. We are spending so much time and so much labor, so much effort in trying to keep ourselves and whatever we've had and do whatever we've had and have the comforts and the privileges and force upon other people the things that who we've been in the past and thinking that making the physical nation back to what it once was or where we were when we started 200 and almost 50 years ago that that is what's going to be the the linchpin the 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 crutch point that helps people to come back to faith, that helps us become a Christian nation again. That if we just physically exert ourselves, that that's what's going to change the dynamics of the religious and spiritual nature of our country. And instead, perhaps we should find some sort of balance between being patriots and not going so far as to say that America is the end-all, be-all. It was a concern for the disciples. And Jesus says, look, it's not for you to know when these things are going to happen. And it's really not just about Israel. What's going to happen here is this. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You're not going to receive power whenever you fight back and take control over Rome of the nation of Israel. You're not going to receive power in some other way. But this is a spiritual power That you are going to have. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's not about Israel. And it's not about physical you and what's happening just around you. This spiritual kingdom is a kingdom that is beyond the walls 
of what you thought it was going to be. And you are only going to be able to have the power to witness effectively because of the spirit that I am giving to you. Not because of your charm, not because of your wit, not because of your intuition, not because you were at the right place at the right time, not just circumstance and happenstance. The spirit is the one who is going to do the work in you and you are going to be my witnesses. This isn't just a foretelling of the future, though it is. This is a description and a statement of command. You will be. Like, this is, this is your responsibility to be my witnesses, not just here, not just for the sake of these people around you, not just so that you can continue on or rebuild what you once look back on and long for in days of past, but instead look forward to what I have in store because of what I'm going to do through you as the Spirit comes upon you. And it's going to be beyond Jerusalem and even beyond Judea and Samaria. It's going to be to the end of the earth. And then he says that, and it's like, you know, last line, drop the mic and I'm out. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, right? It's like a balloon. You ever have a balloon and you release it out? You ever try to follow the balloon? You know, after about, I don't know, a minute, for most of us, it might be a very faint little dot and then it's just like finally gone. It's just too small. Can't see it anymore. It's like trying to track a plane. Like, well, I can see it because it's overhead, but now it's over there and I can't see it anymore. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So this cloud is a symbol of glory. The idea here is that Jesus did not just randomly leave. It was supposed to be a sign for them that Jesus was going back to heaven, that he was ascending back to heaven, that he had come in and out of their presence. We can read in the Gospels. After he was resurrected, he'd appear. He'd go through walls and he'd be in their midst and they'd be like, whoa, hey, uh, what's going on? You know, he's like, hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, Thomas, come over here. You didn't get to see me before, right? And then he'd show up on the seashore and he'd be like, hey, I'm hungry. Give me some fish, right? I mean, he would just randomly appear and then he'd disappear just as quick sometimes, it seems. But this time he disappears, but purposefully and for good. He went away on a cloud, He went away back into heaven. The ascension was a real physical thing that took place. Jesus isn't still here physically on earth, randomly checking in, doing stuff. And so like they're looking up in heaven and then all of a sudden, you know, two men are beside them. You know, it's like, you know, we're looking up into heaven, right? And then these two guys are just kind of like, they just show up and they're just like, you know, tap him on the shoulder. Hey, what are you looking at? You know, it's like one of those. You ever have that? I like doing that to people sometimes when they're distracted, you know, get right beside them or, you know, kind of walk up behind them and they have no idea because they're busy in thought. And be like, hey, what are we looking at? You know, <laughs> freak them out. I think that's probably what happened to them. They're like, whoa, where'd y'all come from? Um, 
So this is a similar thing that we find in, in Luke 24 after the women go to the tomb. They're looking for Jesus and two men in dazzling white apparel say to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Right? I don't know if it's the same two guys. You know, maybe they had that cool, like that was their job, you know. <laughs> like these angel people to randomly show up around these great affairs of Jesus and be like, hey, guys. You know, they're like, man, one day we're going to work our way up to Gabriel status where we actually get named. (laughs) But these two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So now we're left in this period. Where we begin here in the book of Acts is the beginning of this period of kind of post-physical Jesus on earth until he returns again. I mean, that's what they just said. He was taken up from you. He physically was here and now he's not. But he's going to come again just the same way that he went up. And in between those two times, what did he just tell you? Is your job, is your duty, is your responsibility, is your commission? What are you supposed to be busy about? What's the task at hand? And the fact that you don't know when he's going to come back, just like those parables, like in in Luke 17, Luke 19, that are given to us when they're talking about the kingdom. One of those parables is the parable of the talents. The guy gives his servants each a mina, which is about three months wages, and says, hey, Go do some business with this until I return. And then at some random point, this guy receives his kingdom and he comes back and he says, Hey, servants, what have you done with this money that I've left you? What business have you done? And the one guy says, Look, I turned this one into ten. And Jesus is like, Man, you did a good job. You know, you're definitely on the team. Right? And then one, another guy is like, Hey, I turned this one into five. And Jesus is like, Hey, you too, you know, just as good. All right, awesome, wonderful. And then the other guy's like, man, I was afraid. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know how to do it. I know you told me to to do these things, but no one ever taught me how to do it. And I wasn't sure what you were going to expect. And I was worried that the results weren't going to turn out the way that they should have and that I might lose your money. And the guy says... You wicked, worthless servant. Like, you don't belong here. I didn't give you this so that you could just loaf around in the meantime. I gave you a task to do. You were expected to do something. And if you knew that I was a harsh master, if you knew that I had expectations, if you knew that you were going to have to answer for What you did with your time and the stewardship of your resources, then you should have at least done something that was going to produce at least some interest. Put it in the bank. Don't go bury it. I kind of wonder if we could just simply insert that parable here. 
and say in that meantime, between Jesus' ascension and his second coming, in the span that we have between, where we still live now, even 2,000 years later, this task that he gave originally to these apostles is still the same task that he has given to us. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves, and maybe just the point of this whole sermon ought to be, since I haven't really given one yet, I've just explained a lot of things and talked a lot, is what are we doing? What are we doing now in this in-between period where we don't know when Jesus is going to come back, and it's not our job to try and figure out, is it going to be in five years or ten years or next year or you know, the next major pandemic, maybe that's going to be another sign. Like, in so many regards, who cares about trying to figure out when? That's not our responsibility, and that's taking us away from the duty that we've been given. Our task that has been clearly communicated to us in the Gospels and at this beginning of the book of Acts is to be his witnesses, is to go and make disciples. And so too many times I think we are left trying to figure things out that are of so little importance that we're still standing there trying to figure out, oh, you know, I know he left and I know he's going to come back, so I'm trying to read the stars. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what does this mean? Well, what does that mean? Well, what am I supposed to do now? When what we've been commanded to do as Christians is really rather simple and say it was easy. But what we've been commanded to do is something that he empowers us to do by giving us a spirit, number one. And number two, then what are you going to do with that stewardship of the spirit? What are you going to depend on the Spirit to do in you and through you so that you might be an effective witness? Because, yeah, we can be witnesses and we can be awful witnesses. We can be horrendous witnesses. We can call ourselves Christians and do all sorts of things that say to people who are watching us, this guy, this lady has no idea what they're doing. They are, by their actions and by their words, completely destroying whatever testimony and witness they say they have or say they, we, that we should listen to. But he empowers us with his spirit. And he gives us his word to know the right way to live this life. So that we might be effective, powerful witnesses. And as we read this, the rest of this book of Acts, as we study the rest of this book, we'll see that it is the Spirit who is doing these things in the apostles, in the disciples, and that he's doing them in ways and in areas that really they did not have on their radar. Things that they did not, they were not able to fully plan for. That they had to submit themselves to the unknowns of where God was calling them to and what he was calling them to exactly. And so the question for us today is, what are we doing with this mandate? What are we doing with this fifth commission? We've had it in the four gospels and now we have it again. 
You will be my witnesses. What are we doing with that? There's a reason why I spent several weeks over the past month going through evangelism. Teaching us just in a short time each Sunday a way to present the gospel faithfully and succinctly so that we might be able to, in a short period of time, in just a couple minutes, explain the gospel to somebody and why I'm planning on doing an evangelism training so that we can succinctly, proudly, robustly, confidently proclaim the gospel to somebody. We can say, here's the basics of it. And we can say, look, there's so much more to this. So why don't you come alongside me? Why don't we read the Bible together then? Why don't you come and be a part of our fellowship? Why don't you come and learn and study with me? And the end all be all for us is not just evangelism. It's not just being witnesses. But I think it is a good opportunity for us to assess ourselves and to ask the question whether or not this simplest and repeated command of Christ defines the basic arc of our lives. Is this who we are as people, a people who are proclaiming the gospel and being his witnesses? Or are we just content with letting other people go to the ends of the earth? Are we content with letting someone else get up and speak boldly the gospel? Are we confident with just saying, someone else will reach my neighbor? Are we content with saying, yeah, but it just didn't feel like the right time? We're not guaranteed anything. And we're in this, we're in this time period between the ascension and the second coming. We're, our command is clear. So what can you be doing to be faithful to that? How can I encourage you? How can I help to equip you to be a faithful witness in Abingdon and Washington County and as far as the Lord might take you? I really would love to hear an answer to that question. For you to spend some time thinking about it and you come up with an answer, how, how am I and how can I be a faithful witness where I am, where God has put me, and the relationships that he's already put me in and the relationships that he might have me to enter into to be a faithful witness to him to proclaim the gospel boldly 
and the power of the Spirit so that I might, whenever I come face to face with Christ, whenever that is, I can say, look at, look at what I've done with this. Not because I was able to of my own power and strength, not because of my own wit, but because I depended on your spirit that you gave to me and I sought to obey you and what you commanded me to do. How can we grow in this together? I pray that we would ask that question of ourselves and see that the Lord would give us some answers. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time together, for these verses, for the encouragement that we have to be your witnesses. God, we can't, we can't do this on our own. We can make all kinds of plans, but if you're not in it and your spirit's not leading us, then it's pointless. Then we're just spinning our wheels. And so help us to be a people who pray, to be a people who depend on your spirit in us, to work in us, to change us, to bear fruit in us, so that the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, the faithfulness that we exercise would be seen, that we can display it, that other people would witness it, and that they might come to know you as their Lord and Savior. God, we pray that you would bear fruit in us, personally through your Spirit, and then also changing hearts and minds through the proclamation of the gospel. God, would you do that? Would you use us? Would you find in us willing vessels, faithful servants, spirit-led disciples? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.